We have a wonderful and merciful and marvelous God that in His grace has set forth a way for us to be redeemed so that we will not have to face His wrath and His eternal judgment where we are consigned to hell. And He does it through the person of Jesus Christ where He says that Jesus has come to live the life that we cannot possibly live, died the death that was meant for us so that we may be saved. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend, Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. This morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And as you turn there, I want you to think about this question. If Jesus was coming back at 12 o'clock, would Gary be done or not with his sermon? No, that's, that's not actually the question, but I just thought I'd throw it out there. Just, it's like, he will be at 12.01, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Barry will remind me. But if Jesus was coming back today, let's just say that we knew he was coming back today at 3 o'clock. How would that impact your life for the next three and a half hours? What would you do differently? How, how, what would your behavior look like? Would you, and, and, and I'm just going to use two, I'm not saying any of you would do this, but just for a visual, Okay. Would you go home and spend the next three and a half hours on your knees reading God's Word? Or would you go, oh, I don't care, so you go to the closest bar and spend the next three and a half hours at the bar? What would you do? All right, you got that in mind? Now let me ask you this. We don't know if he's coming back at three. He could. But we know he's coming back. So how do you live your life, now, your life now knowing that he is coming back even though you don't know when? Do you have a different answer? There is something about the urgency of an event happening that, that changes the way we behave. It, we, we do this all the time. I've told you we're going on vacation at, at the end of the month. I've not packed yet. It would be foolish for me to go and pack up all my stuff right now to go on vacation in three and a half weeks. It would be equally foolish to pack up, you know, 30 minutes before I went. But we live with this idea that if something is coming, we know it's coming and we'll get ready for it and be prepared for it when it's time to get ready and be prepared for it. But how do you live in light of an event that is going to happen, the return of Jesus, when you don't really know when it's going to occur? When we come to 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter is transitioning to discuss the return of the king. That Jesus is going to come back. And he is continuing to do this under the attack that he has launched against the false teachers that have said, Hey, 
Jesus isn't coming back, do what you want. Peter says, no, you can't live like that. And as a believer, we can't live like that because the return of Jesus is something that we hold dear to us. It is something that places hope in our hearts. And so Peter is going to focus on this, and in focusing on this this morning, we're going to see some truths about the return of Jesus in general. And then he's going to address, and we'll see this next week, he's going to turn and, and attack their specific argument that, well, he hasn't come back yesterday. And, and this is kind of like us. He didn't come back yesterday. He didn't come back the day before. I'm probably good for tomorrow and the day after. So that's Peter's train of thought. But let's look at the first seven verses this morning as he talks about the return of Jesus. He says, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the prediction of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these that the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. This morning, as Peter writes, I want you to notice just three things about the return of Jesus that Peter draws our attention to. And the first is this. Peter says the return of Jesus provides security for believers. Look at this. He says, this is the second letter that I'm writing to you, and he moves back to beloved, right? He's called us that before. He says, you are loved. We are, we are loved by God. And since we are his, since we know that he is coming back, that this, this should provide some security for us, right? Kind of like a favorite security blanket or security animal that you have. It just it makes you feel good. Peter says Christ coming back provides security for us. And because of that, he says, I want you to then think on the return of Jesus. I want you to think on this. He says, this is the second time I've written you. And he says, look at this. He says it twice. By way of reminder that you should remember. Okay, that's kind of like, make sure you don't forget. We do a whole lot of things in our lives to make sure that we don't forget. Right, Brad? There, there was a story told this morning in Sunday school about Brad going to a doctor's appointment, but he was a year late. It, it was last year. <laughs> right? But the doctor gave him the piece of paper that says, hey, you got a report, an appointment, here's your reminder. We set reminders on our phones. When I go and put in a, a date in my calendar, depending on what the date is or what I'm supposed to remember, I might set two or three reminders. You know, if I have something that I'm supposed to prepare for, hey, prepare for this 15 minutes from then. Hey, did you prepare in five minutes? I hope you're prepared, right? We, do, we remind ourselves. We don't, we don't want to forget Peter is writing to them saying, look, I don't want you to forget. 
Don't want you to forget that I told you that Jesus is coming. Think on this. Remember it. Focus on it. Let it permeate and invade your mind so that every time you get up in the morning, you think, hey, today might be the day that Jesus is coming back. And if you think like that, Peter's argument is, then you're not going to fall victim to the false teaching that is saying Jesus isn't coming back. Because let, let's, let's be honest this morning. If Jesus is not coming back, as the false teachers have been saying, and if there is no judgment, there is no reason for us to live a moral life. There is absolutely no reason. You might as well go ahead, eat, drink, and be merry. However, and we're going to get to this in a minute, if there is a God, and there is, and if God is a moral God, and He is, and if God says, I need you to behave morally, and I have code of ethics for you to follow, then there becomes a reason we need to pay attention, and we need to live correctly, because He says, because I'm a moral God, that means that I have to exercise judgment on those who live an immoral life. He says, so think on these things. Remember them so that you will not fall praise to the false teachers who are trying to get you to forget. And he says, as you think on these things, be assured that Jesus will return. That Jesus will coming back. He's saying, I want you to remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your, through your apostles, through the authority of the apostles. What, what have they been teaching? What have they been talking about? And Peter is kind of speaking very globally here, talking about the return of Jesus. He says the prophets talked about this. Jesus, when he was here, talked about, I'm, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. He's saying volumes have been written about this. Now, I think that Peter very generally it's not referring to any specific passage of the Old Testament, but I think that he is talking about the day of the Lord, right? We, we talked about this a little bit in the, study of, um, in the study of Revelation as we were going through that and we were looking at this idea of the day of the Lord. Because the idea of the day of the Lord that is going to come is the day where the Lord comes and he brings judgment on the earth. But wrapped up in that coming judgment is the assurity that there is coming a day when the Lord comes back. And you see this throughout Scripture, the Old Testament and the New. But I'm going to read to you because we typically go, okay, what specific prophecy is he talking about? So here's one for you, and I, just, I picked this one because it is so clear and it ties in nicely to what we've been looking at in Revelation. It sounds very familiar. It's Zechariah 14, 1 through 5. It says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord, when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall, be, shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall be moved northward and one half southward. 
And you shall flee the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Hazel. You shall flee as you fled from the earthquakes in the days of Uzziah the king. Then the Lord my God will come, and then all the holy ones with him. In that passage, Zechariah, even who is writing before the advent of Christ, his birth and incarnation is already looking past that to the day that the Lord is going to come and he's going to step foot on the, the Mount of Olives and split it in two. And did you catch there at the beginning that when he comes, he is waging judgment against those who stood against him. But he's coming back. He is coming back. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's pretty clear if you ask me. He's going to come back. So as a believer, we can be assured that he is coming back. And it's important that we think about it, and it's important that we are assured in our hearts and assured by God's Word that He is coming back because we need to understand that the return of Jesus is going to be ridiculed by the unbelieving. And that's what the next point is. The return of Jesus is ridiculed by the unbelieving. Peter starts, look at how he starts in verse 3. He says, know this, know this. So you you got to remember. You got to remember. You you got to know that Jesus is coming back, so that you can be on guard, right? Kind of like fencing, right? They look at each other. Y'all seen fencing in the Olympics, right? Now, you know they stand there and they say they give that on guard command and they hold their swords ready and then they just and it's over before you know it and you go, what happened? Right? If y'all haven't, if we ever had the Summer Olympics again, watch it. It ends in like three seconds, and I'm left going, wait, wait, huh? You know, I, I would be dead in, in no time if I had the fence. Right? But you got to be right. Why, why do they have to know? Why do they have to be on guard? So when the unbelievers come and the false teachers come and say he's not coming, you can just kind of take that sword and just swat it away. You know, you're not getting to me. Because unbelievers will come. And he says that they're going to appear in the last day. Look at how Peter writes this. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Scoffers will come with scoffing. And what's that mean? It, it means that they're going to make fun of it. They're going to ridicule it. They're, they're, they're going to laugh, laugh at it. Now, I know if you're like me, the first question when you hear that is going, all right, when's the last days? And we need to understand that we have been living in the last days since the ascension of Jesus Christ. Since that passage I just quoted from Acts 1-6 when he goes up into heaven, we have been living in the last days. You're living in the last days. Now, does that mean that Jesus is coming back today? I don't know. We don't know when, but we know that we are. And he says in these last days that, that people will come and make fun of it, and they're going to dismiss the idea. And the reason that they are dismissing the idea is so that they can do whatever they want, so that they can walk in their own lust. They're going to scoff following their own sinful desires. They're going to scoff going, well, I want to do this. I want to do this. I don't care what morality says. I don't care what society says. I don't care what God has said is good for society and what moral laws that he has put in place. I want to do what I want to do. Sound familiar? 
mean, we hear, we hear a lot of that today. That people are scoffing about the end times. And the more that you get there, the, the more it seems to be vocalized. Easter Friday of this year, Good Friday, an article was written. Here was the title of the article written on Good Friday. Why record ungodliness in the U.S. is good news. I mean, just let that sink in for a minute. Why record ungodliness in the U.S. is good news. I've got a year's worth of news stories that could probably rebut that pretty quickly. It's not good news. Because what we have seen is ungodliness leads to death, leads to destruction. Ungodliness leads to people living for themselves with no impact or concern about anybody else. Ungodliness looks at people and they says, I will determine what is right for me regardless of what is right for you and my rights trump yours. And if I want to do it, I don't care because I get to decide what I want to do. But it's good for the U.S. apparently. In the last days, they will come with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and write articles titled, Why Ungodliness in the U.S. is a Good Thing. But unbelievers also attack the veracity of God's Word. Where is His promise, they ask? Where, where? He's not here. He's not come back. He's not come back. He's not come back. It must not be true. Now, I agree to one extent, that I think that believers, we kind of get lulled into a false sense of security. We've lived on this earth this many years and he's not come back, so I've probably got a good chance. All right, I think I've told you this story before, uh, or or said it before, but it kind of ties in here, that uh, the registrar at Southeastern when I was there was Jewish, and he, he talked about his Jewish upbringing and how they would go in on the Sabbath and they would open the doors for Elijah and everything. And he said, after a while, I just got you know, used to the fact we did it last year, he didn't come. We did it the year before, he didn't come. We've done it for the past decade, he didn't come. He's not coming this year either. And so we kind of, we kind of get lulled into this, well, I'll probably die before he comes back. Which may happen. It may be true. You, we may die before he returns. The question is, are, do we doubt the truth when he says he's coming back? Do we believe he's coming back, yes or no? Well, the unbelievers are going to attack the veracity of God's word saying, no, 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 it's, it, God's word is not true. He's not coming back. Do what you want to do. And remember, the false teachers are saying, you can do this. His, his words aren't true. There is no judgment. Right? That's, that's the underlying theme. There is no judgment. There is no, hev- there is no hell. Right? They always want heaven, but they don't want hell. There is no hell. Do what you want to. Easter Sunday of this year, an article appeared in the same paper, by the way, so you got to in the editorial board of the paper they were doing this on purpose 
titled, Christians Believe in Heaven and Hell, Jesus Did Not. That's a shocking statement, if you ask me. It was meant to be shocking. Because we can go to the New Testament, we can go to Matthew 13, Matthew 25, Mark 9, Luke 16, and go, it sure sounds like from the lips of Jesus, he believed that there was a hell. Well, when you go on and you see who wrote it, even though the author admits that Jesus did exist, the Jesus that we see in the New Testament is not the Jesus that existed. Now do you see why? What, what, what just happened in that statement? We're denying the authority of Scripture. Because if we can just go back through historical records and do research, we can find out who Jesus really was. I got an idea. Why don't we read the primary sources that were written when he was alive? That's, that's my thought. But they denied the authority of Scripture. They denied the veracity of God's Word. And I've said this before, and I'll say it until I leave Red Bank either because God calls me home or I pass over and kill off one. I don't know which. The Bible is an all-or-nothing proposition. There is no, I like this part, I don't like this part. This part is true, this part is not. If one part is not true, none of it is true. And the best way to know who Jesus is is to go back and read the words as recorded by and inspired by the Holy Spirit of the author of Scripture. Peter continues and says, Unbelievers ignored the obvious. Verse 5. For they deliberately overlooked this fact. See, now we've moved from ignorance where you legitimately don't know to deliberate ignorance. I might know, but I'm deliberately going to ignore Okay. Do you see what they've done? We, we, we know it, and they say, no, no, I just I refuse to believe the obvious. And, and their justification is that all things are continuing as they were since the beginning of creation. Basically, that nothing has ever changed, and therefore nothing will ever change is their argument. The world is the way the world has always been, and, and since there's not been judgments, we, we just need to go on living. Well, that's great. If you decide to overlook the judgments that have come before. Which is what Peter says. They, they ignore the obvious, and ignoring the obvious, they disregard the previous judgments. They deliberately overlook this fact. And he talks about the formation of the earth, and then he goes on and says, And by that means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. What are they overlooking? They're overlooking the judgment of the flood. They're overlooking where God stepped into his creation. I mean, their whole point is, hey, there's a creation, and if there's a creation, there's a creator. And now Peter's saying, you know, the creator is concerned about his creation and is concerned about how they are behaving. And he says they were so wicked that he sent the flood. Right? Remember that, that, that passage that, that loosely says their hearts were full of evil. All they thought on all day, all night was evil desires. They they couldn't think of something good. And so God sends the flood, and when God sends the flood, He is teaching them the truth that we live in a moral universe and that there are ramifications for your sin and that sin will not go unpunished. But you know what they're doing? They're deliberately overlooking that. Remember, these, these are Jewish believers. They're deliberately overlooking 40 years of judgment in the wilderness. 
They're deliberately overlooking the judgment of Ai when they didn't follow God and, and they were slaughtered right after the battle of Jericho. They're deliberately overlooking the judgment of Babylon coming in and carrying them off into captivity. They're deliberately overlooking the fact that Assyria came in and took the north off to captivity. And the list could go on and on and on when you go through the Old Testament and you look at the judgments that God sent. Right? God told them. God told them. You go back to Deuteronomy and they're going in the promised land. God says, look, you obey me. You do what I tell you to do. You follow me. You live according to the law that I give you and life will be good for you. But if you don't, Judgment will come upon you. And you know what? God has been true to His Word. So if God was true to His Word for all those judgments in the Old Testament, you know what that means? God is going to be true to His Word that Jesus is coming back again and He's going to judge when He does. And we need to understand that. Because thirdly, Peter says that the return of Jesus brings judgment on the ungodly. That the return of Jesus brings judgment on the ungodly. He spent a lot of time in this in Revelation. We've been talking about a lot of judgment, but here we go again. Because Peter says if you ignore the judgment and the return of Jesus, you're doing so at your own risk. Because when Jesus comes, He is coming in judgment. And to make sure that they understand, look at what He says. He says, But by the same word, the heavens and earth are now exist, are stored up for fire. Look, He says, God has already prepared the judgment. That's scary. <laughs> right? That, 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 that is. And this is why. Right? We read Sodom and Gomorrah, and it was like judgment came, bam, right? Right, we we, we kind of know the backstory. We we see Abraham and Lot, or excuse me, Abraham uh, uh, haggling with the angels. Right, the angel of the Lord. Uh, if there's forty, if there's thirty, if there's five, if there's ten. Right, we see all that. But you know what the people in Sodom and Gomorrah saw? They saw the instant judgment of God rain down on them from heaven. What do you think God could do if He's had a couple thousand years to devise the judgment? <laughs> right, you see what I'm saying? If in an instant Sodom and Gomorrah was judged and consumed, what on earth could he do if he plans a little bit in advance? <laughs> and that's what Peter says. It's, he's, he's already ready. He's, he's prepared. He's ready for it to go. And Peter says this time when it comes, he says, it's going to come by fire instead of by flood. Because he just talked about the flood. And, and we remember after the flood, God said, never again by flood. But Peter says it's coming again, this time by fire. Now, you may not agree with me on this, but for some reason, I've always thought as fire is more destructive than flood. I don't, I don't know why, and I guess because most of the flooding that, that we see, it, you know, it'll come up a couple inches in somebody's house or, or maybe a foot, but it seems like you can recover. You don't lose everything in a flood. Now, I know you're going to go, but Gary, I've seen floods. Yes, I understand. Okay, just, I got it. But a fire, it consumes everything. It, it's It's gone. You, you might could take a bookcase that had a little flood damage on the bottom, cut it off, and now you just got a shorter bookcase, but you, you can't pick up the ashes of a bookcase and make another bookcase. It's completely and utterly destroyed. And that's what Peter wants people to hear. 
that judgment brings destruction. That judgment brings complete and total destruction that you cannot recover from. There is nothing that you will be able to do when Jesus comes, and if you are an unbeliever and judgment is executed on you, there is nothing that you can pick up and put back together and hope for salvation. It is too late. That's why Jesus, when you go back to Matthew, and I guess if you want to call me a fundamentalist in believing that what we have in Scripture recorded as God's Word, is Jesus speaking, then I will gladly wear that label. But Jesus says in Matthew 10, 26, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body. Well, here's a good word that that author ought to look up. Hell. Peter is reminding us, reminding everybody that when Jesus comes in judgment, he is coming and it will be complete and total. And the judgment will be for all eternity. There is no escaping it. But here's something. We have a, 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 a wonderful and merciful and marvelous God that in His grace has set forth a way for us to be redeemed so that we will not have to face His wrath and His eternal judgment where we are consigned to hell. And He does it through the person of Jesus Christ where he says that Jesus has come to live the life that we cannot possibly live, died the death that was meant for us, so that we may be saved. So that instead, where he says in Matthew 10, fear the one who destroys the body and fear the one who destroys the soul, he goes on to Matthew 25 and talks about the separation of the sheep and goats. And in that one, he says, he talks about the sheep coming in and saying, they, they know my voice, come enter into the rest because not only did you know me, but I knew you. And we won't have to face the wrath of God that will separate from us from him for all eternity. We escape the destruction. And as we escape the destruction through salvation in Jesus Christ, then the return of the king becomes something that we look forward to and we live our lives now in the light of the fact that he is coming back. It impacts your behavior today. It impacts how you act now, whether you tell the truth, whether you're faithful whether you avoid sexual immorality, whether you live life in the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It impacts how you live now. And as it impacts how you live now, it becomes an encouragement to continue. I'm going to finish this morning by reading Paul from 1 Thessalonians 4. 
But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, though Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this day we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The return of the king is an encouragement for believers to live the way we are supposed to live now as a testimony to our faith in Jesus Christ. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transformed lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.